Welcome to Ami Sites, a podcast that offers you access to thought leaders who can help you expand your entrepreneurial toolbox. Learn from seasoned entrepreneurs who have already walked in your shoes and can help you with your day-to-day business decisions. Join the founder and CEO of Multifunding, Ami Kassar, and his co-host, Lynn Ozer, the president of Multifunding, aka the SBA Queen, as they help you navigate, grow, and stay in control of your business. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the next edition of Ami Sites. I'm Ami Kassar, here with my co-host, Lynn Ozer, aka SBA Queen. Could not be more excited to have my friend Tom Spadea on the show. Tom Spadea, I call him the king of franchise law. He knows more about franchise law and the ins and outs of how franchises work than anybody I know and has a firm that he's going to tell us all about that works pretty specifically and focused in franchise law. Tom, thanks for being on the show. It's been a long time since we met one cold morning in a coffee shop in Philadelphia. I remember that. When we, you drove through the we, snow on me. That's what I was like. I got to do deals with this guy. Uh, <laughs> we were just kind of getting started. And welcome. Thank Tell you. us what you do, Tom. So I am a franchise attorney. I focus on franchisors. I help people take independent, successful businesses that they've sort of uh, conquered locally, and I turn them into a franchise on the regulatory format, writing their FDDs and the franchise agreements and giving them the structure and helping them scale. And they usually, once they get up to you know a decade and a few hundred locations, they kind of graduate from me and our path is taking owners and turning them into generational wealth. So we, you know, it's a very narrow focus. We represent about 350 brands nationwide. And, um, you know, as when we first met, I got my start in the franchising world by selling franchises for Rita's Italian Ice, those Philly folks who are who are here and know that brand. I joined Rita's about the same time I enrolled in law school in my mid-30s. And so I spent four years slugging through law school and, you know, paying for it by franchise commission. So I've been in franchising for 20 plus years and I've had the firm for 12. And uh, it's great fun. I mean, I get to take founders who go from just having a business that supports their family to one that kind of exponentially explodes. They don't all get there. It's a hard road for sure. But when you see them build that generational wealth, it is uh, that's kind of our why. It's it's pretty awesome. It's pretty fun. So do you take a franchisor from a concept to a franchise or do you work with an owner of a franchise who wants to own multiple franchises and or multiple brands? So a concept. So we, so we, um, we, I mean, when I started the firm, obviously we did, we worked a lot with franchisees, it gave us perspective, but over the last couple of years, we've shifted our focus. So someone who has a strong independent business, they're making money, you know, I mean, I were talking about, you know, business resales, you'll see that people will buy a business, whatever it is, home services or a restaurant. People always think restaurants, but that's probably only 30% of franchising. So it's anything, you know, a roofer, home services business, you know, mold remediation, any, you know, a gym. Something that's just really profitable, local, demands, you know, boots on the ground. It's kind of Amazon proof, as we say. And so we'll take that business that has a successful track record, is making money, and the owner kind of has the the mental capital and the financial capital to then say, I want to teach this business to other folks. And that's the essence of franchising. And so we build their franchise system. That's great. As I understand it from entrepreneurs who have wanted to do this, and as you said at the beginning, this is not easy. And this is not for everyone. It's very demanding. But isn't the first step to make sure that they have 
processes that can be duplicated time and time and time and time again to create consistency and brand consistency, I guess. Yeah, I think it's concurrent. I think the first step is that they have a a business that they are doing very well in, that they have high margins and they're dominating locally. And they understand because the truth is, you know, there are lots of folks that I work with and I team up with who are business consultants who will go into a business owner and take, it's actually sometimes counterproductive for the business owner to think they're going to write their operations manual. They're going to write these processes and procedures. There are people who will translate that. There are people out there who will do a really good job. They need to just crush it with the consumers, understand why people write them checks because of their value, because of their coolness, because of their price, because of their whatever that special sauce is that made them dominate locally. That's the key. And, and, you know, you need good margins because there's, you got to pay the royalties. So there's, you know, so, and the business has to be, you know, if someone calls me up and they want to franchise their business and I can't get them on the phone, I tell them they're not ready, even if they have all the money in the world. Because they're spending too much time, you know, flipping the burgers, cutting the hair, spraying for the mosquitoes. You have to have a business. You know, I tell, I send them to go read the E-Myth. I'm like, go get Michael Gerber's book and read the E-Myth or read, you know, Ami's book on building your business by getting your own funding and getting yourself out of the business and, and capitalize. And it's a business, not just a technical hobby. And I think those become the franchise businesses. So I think running the procedures is like, once you've made the analysis that you want a franchise. I think that can be done. I see. On any business, right? Yeah, I tell people that often when they tell me that they're ready to franchise. My usual answer is, no, you're not. Mine and too. To your point, Tom, unless you have a very solid, highly profitable business, then why is anybody going to buy into your concept? I mean, it's, and, and the truth is the first early adopters are buying the person. I think it has to do, you know, they say like dog training business, they're training the owners, they're not training the dogs. Well, I think a franchise is like a similar thing. I, I think the business is, for at least the founders, it's just as wrapped up in the personality and the skill sets of the owner. You know, you, when you own a small business, you're a player. When you're a franchisor, you're a coach. And not every player translates automatically to being a coach. But I think you have to think intentionally about, can I, I was talking to a potential client yesterday. How do you go about it? How do you think about this? I said, just Take an imaginary cousin who's 10 years younger than you, who's a go-getter, who, you know, you really are impressed with this, you know, young man or young woman, and they're on LinkedIn, and you're like, this person. And think about what it would take. Forget the financials, forget the formality. Think about what it would take to teach that person your business and set them up to do exactly what you've done over the last decade. What things would you tell that person to get them started? And that's franchising. So when we think procedures and we think details and we think those, that's like stage two, right? Once you're cooking, the first part is, is that coaching stage. Just really, do I have the right person? Can I tell them what to do, what not to do, where the traps are, where the value is, and pick them? right? That's the biggest mistake. The single biggest mistake franchise early franchisors make is they sell franchises instead of awarding them. Is they're, is they're so excited that someone's going to write a check. Oh my God, they're going to write me a $30,000 check. I will tell you, you'll give that 30000 back in a heartbeat if you pick the wrong franchisees. That's the single biggest reason why new franchisors flop. They have right procedures. They have good things. They have, you know, they hired a, a good lawyer. They have everything buttoned up, but then they go out there and 
you know, as a franchise nerd, if you watch the founders, you know, the, the McDonald's book with Ray Kroc, uh, that show, and there's one scene in there where he's at the country club, right? When he does the deal with the McDonald's brothers, and now he's the franchisor, and he talks about it's so profitable, and it's such a great business. And the first bunch of franchisees are all the, you know, the rich guys from the country club, and they're not doing well because they're putting management. And then a Jewish guy comes selling them Bibles door to door. And he's like, and he sort of picks that apart. And he says, that's a, that's a hustler. That's who I want as my franchisee. And that became his first franchisee and his first success. And they kind of flipped it around. You want the operator, you want the hustler. You, and actually it's a segue to fund, funding, right? Because a lot of those folks sometimes don't have $2 million sitting in the bank, but they have some savings and they're ready to hustle. And so franchising is way more about the people I think then new franchisors even realize it's a personality game. So would you suggest that the first step B, open another location and hire a manager and see how you make out with all those points you just said in a store that you own? So you have two locations and two proven things. Because to me, I would want to know that I could duplicate it. Yeah, the owner and founder, of course, was like a superstar. But then when they opened their second one and they weren't there 24-7, does it still work as well? That would be, I don't know if that's because I'm a banker and I think about those things, but that would be something that would be important to me. Yes and no. It depends what long-term plan is. Because running two locations is more than twice as hard as running one location as a banker. You can appreciate that, right? It's not so easy. To Absolutely. Get and the challenge with people who have too many corporate locations is they, and then they franchise, franchising becomes this other thing. So yeah, what I think franchisors have to realize is that franchising is its own industry. So I would rather see that owner take that first location, get the manager in the first location and get their hours under 20 hours a week. Because if you're running two with two managers, that becomes your own infrastructure. And so to learn about the skill set, and it's probably, it's not that expensive to become a franchisor. The risks and the costs are a lot more associated with whether it's going to work or not. 80 to 100 grand, really, and you can franchise and you can create your business as a franchise in four to six months. And so it's probably less than a down payment on a second location or a second store. And even if you're not a great franchisor, your business is going to be way better because you're going to have taken a 360 view. You're going to really understand the business. You're going to have all these procedures. And if you don't like being a coach, you're going to be in a better format to open that second location. So people come to me and they say, I'm going to open a second location and franchise at the same time. You know, that's a big lift. That's a big lift. You know, you franchise to build generational wealth. Uh, that's the other thing I tell people. From a banker's perspective, I say, if your goal is short-term income in the next three years, maximize your income, don't franchise. Open the second location, you know, read the emails, get out of it, get good managers, get two or three locations. You know, a small business is going to comfortably pay for your lifestyle and your kid's college. The reason you franchise is to take a moonshot, to pay for the grandkids' college, to build generational wealth. You're looking at what's your equity value in seven years. That's it's not, you're not going to make a lot of money as a franchisor in those first couple of years, because think about it, right? Even if it's a million dollars, they're paying a 6% royalty, you're generating $60,000 in revenue that you're going to spend way more effort and energy. But the reason you do it is because it starts getting harder. If you get up to say, say you open that second store, which is prudent, but I would put franchising on hold until you get that under control. But people come to me and they have like, they're opening their seventh store. And, you know, there's six or seven stores a lot harder than the fifth because now you have infrastructure and the employee counts and all of this. And so franchising, it's the reverse. 
your first half a dozen franchise openings are really hard. But then the seventh is easier than the sixth and the eighth is easier than the seventh because you've now created this machine of getting people in the business as opposed to people opening corporate stores. And I think it's why you see most multi-chains that are over the 50 or so are, are the franchise model because you've created this. So, so I would say it depends. You know, It depends what's in the owner's head and why the owner's in business and what their, what their goals are. And that's the first thing I ask. Why'd you call me? Tom, are you able, and you may not be able to because you're an attorney, to share some of your successes? Well, I mean, I have some good successes and they've given me all five-star Google reviews and they've shouted my name from the hill. So I guess I can talk about some. One locally, you know, uh, J-Dog Junk Removal. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's a service brand. Jerry was one of my first clients. I did his trademark like right when I started the practice. And so they're a success. I mean, it's 200 plus locations, veteran-owned business, sells to veterans. And, you know, that was one where he was, had a truck, Literally, I think we bartered for our first bunch of legal work with junk removal from my house. And, he, and he's a great success because he knew he found a niche and he found the let me, you know, let me find franchisees who are coming out of the military who want to join this brotherhood and they've created this ecosystem. And then I guess I get back to that, the emotional component. You know, another big success of, of mine was Mosquito Shield. They were a great brand that really exploded. I mean, we were with them. We probably took that, them as a client when they had like 10 or 15 units and they exploded up to like 300. So franchising is like this exponential growth curve where people just, they hit it and they either hit it big and it, and it starts really growing quickly or you know, they just don't like being a franchisor. That's usually where they pick the wrong people, where they think that it's completely hands-free, right? Where they can just say, well, I gave you the manual, just go run your business. But you know how hard business is. It's really hard to be a small business owner. I mean, most people don't make it. What about, if you think about the ones that have done great, are there some ingredients that have made them great? That's a great question. Patience, you know, I mean, impatience when you talk to them because all entrepreneurs are the most impatient people ever and they want everything done in an hour but they they all really allowed the business to flourish they didn't take money out of the business they understood that they were betting on building a system as opposed to a couple businesses and flexible you know that franchising is really hard i mean they get most of most of my clients who are successful now really took some beatings early on. They made some mistakes early on. And, and you know, they they picked the wrong franchisees and they they never let their ego get in the way. They just kind of just pulled through it. And they said, fine, we're just going to shed these people. And now we know it didn't work. It's um it's a recognition that it's a long-term game. I think that's the real key to success in franchising. It's not a short-term game. It's 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 like building a building software, right? You're literally building this program to create entrepreneurs. And it's hard it, it, and, and there's no formula for it as much as, you know, obviously our documents, they're cookie cutter, they're that, and there's, there's some formulaics to it. And, and I think the other attribute, if you're really pressing me on an attribute, I would say that understanding that their primary job was to make their franchisees successful. The ones who have this us against them mentality and they're adversarial with their franchisees and they're nickeling and diming their franchisees, they usually flame out. There's such a feedback loop in franchising. Every new franchisee is going to talk to the existing system. So I think those franchisors that have real good emotional intelligence and they've taken the long view and they're building relationships and they're they're making their franchisees successful, even sometimes at their own short-term, you know, peril, they're the ones who really make it.
I was wondering, do you suggest that they write their documents so that they're acceptable for SBA financing? And do you find that to be the best way to get financing for your first franchise? Yes, on all those counts. So we would, as part of our flat fee, we wouldn't even charge them. We got every one of our clients that were eligible, eligible. And I think you should, because it, it actually goes back. So the SBA is, you guys are way more experts in this than I am, but they have this addendum that every franchisor has to agree to. Well, right. if you don't agree that addendum is so it's the essence of franchising right that you're not going to be a bully that you're not going to take it over that their employees are theirs so in my mind if you're not even agreeing to the addendum you should agree to that whether they get sba financing or not so yes you got to realize the game that you're in it's not your business it's their business you're renting your intellectual property to them to be successful and so the sba is a phenomenal tool franchising wouldn't exist without the sba if if you didn't have that lending because it's sort of a new business but it's not a new business but you have this format less risky for the sba right and you know it's really hard for conventional lending because you get folks who are stepping out of corporate america or taking their money from a 401k rollover, or they, they they don't have a lot of these franchises, they don't have the assets to back up these loans, but they have the business model. So financing drives franchising for sure. Wouldn't exist without it. Tell us about your business, your model, how it's evolved, what you do, how you've grown, all that good stuff. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really lucky. As I told you, I sold franchises before starting the firm. I started the firm with my my best friend in high school, we, we played football in high school together. And he also went to law school late. And so what we focus on is the three things that irritate people most about lawyers. So any business owner watching this knows this, how they bill, lack of transparency and lack of responsiveness. And so we have just laser focused to the regulatory piece. So what we do is we don't charge hourly. Very rarely do we charge hourly. Our primary business is we do a subscription model. So we look at a franchisor, we know what it costs to launch, we know what it costs, a couple grand a month, all in costs as much as you want. It's peaks and valleys. You might not call me for two months, but you might have a real crisis on your hands with a franchisee not paying you or you want to do this deal. And you just need that. And I want to tell you about my kids and I want to learn about your kids because we're in the relationship game. So we took the six minute increments just off the table and our clients, especially founders, they love that because we're a security blanket for them. We're their insurance policy. We're there. And so- and we give them transparency. So we have a tech stack. I have this map on my wall. You know, franchising, I won't get in, bore you into the weeds, but I think you guys both know, but for people looking at this, you have to have an FDD, which is your franchise disclosure document. And in about a third of the states, you have to register that document every single year and constantly getting it updated. Yes, job security for me, pay for both of my kids' college. <laughs> but it's just part of the gig. And so there's a lot of anxiety every year with that, what's filed, what's not. And these are states that are underfunded. Some of these states take weeks or months to get back to. It is what it is. People, we do a good job, I think, because we probably register more franchise FDDs than anyone. So we're dialed into it, but that transparency upsets people. So we have a tech stack that we've spent a lot of time and effort tweaking so that our clients have access to live information, where their filing is, when we get a response from the state, whether they can sell or not in that. And then the third is responsiveness. You know, I, I sold franchises. Time kills deals. They've spent, you know, some cases a couple hundred grand in years getting this thing ready. And you have a deal on the line that's going to change it with the first prospect. We have to be there to pre prepare these documents and get this deal over the finish line. And so that's our DNA. We do a narrow piece of it and we do it very well. And we just really focus on it. And so the clients love that. I mean, that's the, the flat fee has really helped us improve being lawyers because we can spend the time. We can also put in efforts. We have a great team of paralegals. We have technology. So we can be efficient and it doesn't hurt us. It helps us. The more efficient I am, the more clients I can take on. And 
They're happy. I can still charge them a couple grand a month. Whereas lawyers who charge hourly, they have it all backwards. They actually, if they get efficient or invest money in technology, they're affecting their revenue. It doesn't make any sense. So maybe because I didn't go to law school until I was 36, but they're nuts like the way their billing model. I don't, it's not sustainable to me. Well, you're absolutely right that it drives people crazy because they don't understand it. And the lawyers only can charge, you know, maybe they're down to 10 minute or 15 minute increments and they only ask them one question and they get charged. It does drive them nuts. So I think it's brilliant, actually. Love it. <laughs> are you working nationally, locally? Where are you working? Nationally, we have clients everywhere. And that's why I do a lot of these trade shows because sometimes it'll be the first time I get to meet clients in person. But yeah, we work nationally. We have clients, you know, all over. I mean, most of what we do, I, you know, back to sort of whether a business is franchisable, like my business wouldn't be because I can just as easily service someone in California as I can in Philadelphia. Whereas, so that's not really franchisable. I don't need those boots on the ground. I don't need offices in all these states. So yeah, no, we're here in Philadelphia, but in our office, we're up to about 30 total people, you know. 10 attorneys. And we were very honored last year to win number one franchise law firm in the country by Entrepreneur Magazine. That's wonderful. I'm pretty happy yeah. about that. Or do you belong to the National Franchise Association? I do. I do the IFA. I um, We do those shows. I speak. I was on a panel last year. So I just, yeah. like I said, I don't, I'm not very broad, but I'm very deep. It, that's a great trade association. How do clients find you, Tom? You know, get a lot of referrals. Finding really cool podcasts to go on is a great way for us to uh, to generate visibility. And, you know, I, I have a tremendous amount of educational resources on our website. And so I would say in the last couple of years, I've been amazed by the amount of people who want to franchise their business who find us on the website. Because I'm very transparent. I spell out the cost, the steps. I actually try to talk them out of it, to your point earlier. So that way, when they call, they're like, okay, I know the journey I'm about to go on, right? I, I just... I always say that owning a small business, right? Getting financing, opening the second location, that's like the sports equivalent of being a starter on a division one championship team in college sports. Very hard. Very few people, right? We all played football or a different sport or soccer or that volleyball, but very few of us went on to college and played division one sports. That's the journey of an entrepreneur. Being a successful franchisor is getting into the Olympics. And so that has to be your mindset, that it's the next evolution as a business owner. When you're running your business without thinking about it, maybe you're ready for that next challenge. And that's the journey I want people to go on. Now, we say, we're the coach. I'll be with you at the pool, calling the plays and blowing the whistle. But you need to show up at the pool. You can't just say, let me write these guys a check and let it all just happen. You have to be really dedicated and it's a hard journey. But boy, I have people who I was bartering for their services to help them do legal documents and they could barely pay their bills. And now they are worth 20 times what I am. And it's a awesome and it's a journey and it's very personally gratifying. Growing up with an entrepreneurial family, dealing with founders, seeing when they win, it it really it makes it all worth it. I love it. It's terrific. Are there other advisors? Someone's going to go on the franchise journey. They need you. Are there other types of advisors that would be helpful to have them along the way? Yeah, I mean, I do spell that out. I mean, you guys are. We, we call them our friends of the firm list. There's a lot, actually. There's a lot of advisors. You need a funding source. You need a software source. You need someone who's going to help you. Probably all of your vendors and suppliers that helped you as a local business, you're going to outgrow as you grow. You're going to need a good CPA firm. In fact, we like to be the general contractor of that. As the lawyer, we sort of see everything. In fact, what I spell out on the website is that 80 to 150 grand you're going to spend on franchising, only 20 of it's legal fees. The rest are consultants. They're going to write your operations manual and you do that. So yeah, you know they should be members of the IFA. You mentioned great trade source. They should do this. 
like franchising is its own thing. So people who are like not really in the game or that, you know, they should. So, you know, people who understand it, who are experts in their field. So, yeah, I think that maybe I'll add that as a note you, you said, Ami, of what makes the successful ones. I think the people who didn't do it alone and who went in massively open-winded are the people who said, I want to learn. I want to ask questions. I know I don't know this. I'm going to go to the trade show. I'm going to just be a sponge. I'm going to talk to other franchisors. They're the ones who tend to be more successful. Awesome. I love it. And it's interesting, Tom. I don't know if you know, I'm the incoming president. I started as the president of the Entrepreneurs Organization chapter in Philly in July. Congratulations. Which I'm still going to rope you into one day. Um, yes. But, <laughs> but I do think that and there's EO chapters around the country that being in a community of like-minded entrepreneurs as a learning community could also be very helpful for a lot of these people. hundred percent. You know, you got to go into life open-minded to know that you don't know it. And the best way to do it is find out somebody who's walked the walk before. You know? Absolutely. It's great. Tom, exactly. if people want to find you, where do they go? You know, I think our website is a great place to start. Spadialaw.com, S-P-A-D-E-A-L-A-W.com. You know, Google Tom Spadia franchising. And I'm guessing I'm going to show up. If not, then I, <laughs> I I probably don't deserve the phone call if I don't show up. And, you know, and and ping me on LinkedIn, right? I put all of when you got when this is posted, I'll post that. I try to put a lot of educational stuff and success stories of other clients out on LinkedIn. So, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn. And, and that's always a good way to get connected. But Tom, thank you so much. And be well, good to catch up and hope to see you soon, my friend. Thanks, guys. Thank Take you. Care. Nice Bye -bye. meeting you. Thanks for joining us today on Omnisites. Since 2010, multifunding has helped businesses achieve their biggest growth goals through creative and personalized funding solutions, working with a network of the nation's top lenders. Visit us at multifunding.com where you can meet our advisory team and learn more about how we help entrepreneurs fund their future.